0: Well, I'm I'm guessing that most of you don't know that Tuesdays are garbage days at North Cross. And so this past Tuesday, um, I was uh, rolling out the garbage receptacle um, from the side of the building out to the curb so that it could get emptied when the garbage truck came around. And as I was rolling it, I was almost to the curb when something happened, now, maybe some of you who are in Minnesota here remember that Tuesday and Monday as well were very windy days around here, and I'm just about to the curb when a gust of wind somehow comes under the lid, makes it swing up, and I'm, I'm pushing it, and that lid swings up on its hinge and smacks me right in the face. In fact, um, my mouth took the brunt of the blow and after it happened, I I literally thought that I had lost at least one of my teeth. That's how hard it hit. Then my mouth starts bleeding because my tooth cut a gash in my lip and so come to work on Tuesday with hurt mouth and bleeding lip and um, I'm not joking when I say it was probably 10 seconds after this happened that I thought basically what the title of this series is, I wish I would have known about this sooner. I wish I would have known that wind could do that with such amount of force that, you know, my face would take the brunt of it. Because if I would have known it sooner, all I had to do was put my hand on top of the lid and my face would have been spared. (laughs) Now, Now, thankfully, I didn't lose any teeth, I didn't need any stitches, and thankfully, thankfully, no one on staff has video of me (laughs) losing this fight to a garbage can. And I don't know if any of you can relate to getting hit in the face with a garbage can lid, but here's what I do know, all of you can relate to moments in life where you would have done some things differently if only you would have known. That you would have made some different decisions about your finances or about a relationship if only you would have known sooner the consequences of the decisions that you made in the past. You see, all of us can relate to wishing we would have known some things sooner, and that's the, the big idea behind this series that we're in. See, there was this, this pastor in the first century named Paul who was getting not only towards the end of his ministry, but also towards the end of his life. And as he lived this long life that he had, he, um, he learned some things. And God would have it that he would have an opportunity to to mentor and to speak into the life of a young pastor student named Timothy. And so Paul decides to write down some things he learned from his ministry and from his life guided by the Holy Spirit to help Timothy learn and to help Timothy better navigate the things that he would be going through in his life. So today, as we continue this look at 1 Timothy, the first letter that Paul wrote to his friend named Timothy, um, we're going to tackle something that I think all of us can relate to. Because all of us in life have at one time or another, or maybe every single day, understood what it's like to want to be happy, right? In fact, if I were to ask you what of your, one of your major goals are for your relationships or for your life, one of them, probably in the not-too-distant you know, list from the top, would be being happy. Now, how do you get happy? I think we try a lot of things. And some of us, maybe all of us, have spent seasons of our lives not being happy but waiting to be happy i'll be happy when i'll be happy when i get married i'll be happy when we have kids i'll be happy when we move into a neighborhood and in a home that is big enough to sort of my family to fit i'll be happy when we retire And so often our happiness can be tied if we take a moment to think about it to relationships, to career, to kids or grandkids. And I I don't think this is just unique to Americans, but this is the only place I've ever lived and we are the people that I know the best. And what I would say is that all of us at one time or another have found our joy or happiness tied to the accumulation of money or stuff. The, the material things of life so often are things that are, are connected to our either waiting to be happy until I get that, or until I make that, or until I have that, are waiting to be happy or, or are, are happy in the present. Now, maybe you have heard someone say something like this, money won't make you happy. And some of you, when someone has said that to you, have thought, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that. In fact, um, if there was a test to see if money could make someone happy, I'd like to sign up for that test. Because I think it can. I think it could. So let me ask. How much money would you need in that test to make you happy? How much money would it take to make you happy? I want you to think about that for a moment. Now, there are hundreds of people listening to this message. All of you are thinking on your own about this answer. And I am so smart that I can predict, because I wrote it beforehand, what number you have in your head. Or at least I know the answer. (laughs) Or to say it this way, how much would you need to be happy? Um, More than you currently have. It's always the case when we look to money and stuff to make us happy. It is a race without a finish line. It's a journey without an end point. Because if those are the things that we're looking for to make us happy, we will always need more. Now, I wanna be really clear with something that this isn't a message where the pastor is going to tell you that money in and of itself is bad and that it can't bring you any happiness at all. You know, we talk a lot about being real here, so let me be real with you. It's fun to get a new car. It's enjoyable to buy a boat and to take it out onto the lake. It's fun to get those brand new pair of Nikes when they drop, and I was the one that got them. (laughs) there can be some joy that comes from having things. And I also want to be real. If you're in a place where you're not sure how to pay for rent this month, that there's a certain amount of peace and let's call it joy that can be stripped away because you're stressed. And that's true. And I would say, that for most of us, that's not our story, that we don't have enough to pay for rent this month. But the reality is that even though there can be some joy that comes from buying things, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of like a sp- shot of espresso though. <laughs> it, it, it makes you happy for a moment, or maybe five, And then the happiness fades away as the gleam kind of fades away as well. See, here's what's true about happy and stuff. Our first fill-in for today. Having more doesn't mean you'll be happy more. I wish I would have known that sooner. That having more will not make you happy more. I was talking to someone before the service, and we were talking about how we know people who have less than we have and are super happy people. And then we know people who have lots, so much, more than I would ever have, and they're not happy at all because having more doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happy more. And some of us have spent a good portion of our life trying to find that happy through the things of this world. And if you haven't got there yet, if you haven't been able to find that happy yet, well, Paul's going to point out to Timothy and to us where we might need to look instead. So, the very specific context of these verses we're going to look at was uh, Paul writing to Timothy about being aware and careful of people who are going to be teaching falsely about Christ. He said to watch out for false teachers. And he said one of the things that happens with people who teach falsely or who don't, whose ministries are not about Christ is oftentimes their ministries become about themselves and about, he says, financial gain. And so then this gave... Paul an opportunity to talk more, elaborate more about the deceptiveness of money. So we're going to turn, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open up as well, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 9, where Paul writes to Timothy, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, I wonder how many of us could say today honestly that we've never wanted to get rich. I think all of us probably in one way or another have had that desire. In the Greek, this this phrase for those who want to get rich is not just someone who desires more because that in and of itself, does not need to be sinful. It, it all depends on the heart. But more specifically, the idea of those who want to get rich would be people whom have that as their primary objective and primary motive in life. That if, if you had to boil down what you're here for, what you think about, what you plan for, these are people—and maybe this has been us too in seasons as well, that it was the things that we had, the accumulation of the things of this world that was the primary focus. And Paul writes to Timothy that it plunges people into ruin and destruction because, well, that money and stuff, that pursuit, ends up replacing Their pursuit or their relationship with Christ or with God. And that's destructive. He also calls it a temptation or a trap. A trap because, well, it never brings the joy or happiness that you think it will bring, at least not in the long term. Next slide. Next one. You see, when you go down this route, as much as people make, as much as people accumulate, as much as they have in the bank, we will never find the joy and happiness that we're looking for through those things. And, and here's the, the other thing that's, that's true about trying to find joy and happiness through the things that we have that so often that joy is found or lack of it is found in in how we compare what we have to other people. It's so often found in comparison. (laughs) Let me uh, give you an example of this. So when I was a kid in the 80s, at least in my home and maybe other homes were different, the... um, the reality of shoes in my home was that uh, we got typically two new pairs of shoes a year. One was at the beginning of school, and the other was uh, when I started playing basketball, getting basketball shoes at basketball season. And and those were, and then we had church shoes, but those usually lasted until I grew out of them. And I remember one year it was probably second or third grade, where my mom took me and my siblings to. Uh, Payless shoe source. Remember that place, some of you? Yeah. If you're my age, you remember Payless. And my mom said, "Just you know, cool day. You can whatever shoes you want, whatever tennis shoes you want for school. You can pick them out." And so I got to pick out the shoes I wanted for school. And uh, I remember that first day of school. Um, I had my new Payless shoes on, and uh, I know we didn't call it a fit back then, but my my fit was on point for a second grader. Let me just say that. I was walking to school. I can still remember kind of looking at those shoes, hoping that other people saw them. I was pretty excited. Got into the classroom, hoping people see my shoes. And then one of my friends came in, and uh, he had some new shoes, too. But on his shoes was this um, symbol, if we can get that, like like this symbol. Someone from last night pointed out to me. <laughs> I now have them on my shoes. And in that moment, I didn't feel quite as good about my shoes anymore. But you know what? Nothing changed about what I had. They were the exact same shoes from five seconds earlier. The only difference was my perspective and comparison. See, our second fill-in for today. Comparison will always leave you wanting more. And as we, as we consider how so often we're waiting to be happy to accumulate certain things, the reason why we're pointing this out is you've been blessed, but we can so easily, not just in elementary school, but so easily our emotions, our feelings about thankfulness aren't related to what we have. It's related to what other people have. And just understand this, and we've talked about this before, We live at a time where awareness of what other people have and what other people do and wherever other people go is higher than it has ever been in world history. You know where everyone's going on your social media account, what everyone's doing. And yet at the very same time, statistics tell us, and this is related, probably not the only reason, but that we are less happy than ever before. I wonder why. I wonder if those things are related. I know they are. See, so often it's not what we have or what we don't have. It's a mindset of needing more in comparison to what other people have. So Paul then continues with Timothy and he tells him in verse 8, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And uh, as you read that, as you you hear me say that, some of you are right away thinking, no, I won't. If I just have food, if I just have, I'm not going to be content. But Paul is writing Timothy and says, we should be, we could be. Um, if, If you have food to eat, Clothes to wear, a place to live. At the end of the day, we're blessed. That's what we need. And maybe the kitchen cabinets are the wrong color. But they still hold your plates. And maybe the house is not quite as big as you'd like it to be but it still keeps you dry and it still keeps you warm. And it's very interesting. There's so much that's changing in the world just within our lifetimes. Here's another one that changed a little bit before our lifetimes. But up until about 200 years ago, every single person, if they had enough food for the day and they had a place to live, That was not just good, that was great. It's only within the last 100, 200 years where our ideas of what a need is versus a want has totally changed. And now there's certain wants that have become needs. Paul tells Timothy, if you have food and clothing, you're blessed, you can be content we should be. Verse 10, for he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this is one of those verses in the Bible that often gets misinterpreted. Because instead of the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, oftentimes what I hear people quote it as saying is that it is money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And that's not what Paul tells Timothy. In fact, if you think about it for a moment, where does the stuff you have come from, ultimately? From God, right? Right? Would God give you something that in and of itself is evil? Of course not. Money and things are a blessing that God has wanted you to enjoy. Money is a blessing as it allows you to feed your family. Money is a blessing as it allows us as a church to share the gospel with people in our community and even all across the country. See, it's not money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is a love of it. It's making something that God gives, in some ways, even accidentally in our hearts, more important than God himself. A bigger pursuit, a bigger longing, than God himself. Jesus often talked about money. And it wasn't because he wanted people to give to the disciples. It was because he understood that one of the things that competes for your devotion more than anything else, and mine too, are the things that we have. So Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount he said, or spoke these words, he said, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus did not say, you cannot have in your life both God and money, He just says, only one of them can be your master. And over the course of my life, as I've lived it, in true transparency, there have been times, there have been moments, there have been seasons where my focus has been too much on wanting stuff and possibly even at times making that my master. Rather than God, and maybe you can relate to that as well. This is a constant battle we need to fight in in a country and in in a world that has so much. You can have both. We should only serve one. We can have money, but serve God. We can have stuff, but be devoted to Him. Our next fill-in, our third one, says it this way. Enjoy the gifts, worship the giver. When you think about it that way, like, why would you worship the gifts when you have the giver? Enjoy the gifts, worship the giver. So then Paul, as he's mentoring Timothy in these words, um, comes to a phrase or some verses here that I think is really the key to turning our minds and, and turning our hearts. Some really good direction for us from Paul. Um, verse 6 goes like this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. You, didn't, you weren't born with shopping bags in your hands. And at the end of the day, we can take nothing out of it. And so what are we going to do in the middle of those two moments, our birth and our death? What are we going to be devoted to? Um, To kind of unpack this verse a little bit, so often we think of great gain as having more. What Paul says is that great gain is godliness plus contentment. Great gain is when you have those two things. So, so let's define them. Godliness, when you have Jesus as the center of your life and what you need the most. Contentment, being satisfied and thankful for what we have. When we have those two things, guess what Paul says, Timothy? That is going to be a recipe for great gain. That is a recipe for being happy. I wish I would have known that sooner. Hmm. Now, Paul, in a different letter that he wrote uh, to some Christians in Philippi, he talks a little bit more about this contentment aspect. Uh, Let me read these verses that he wrote. He wrote, I, Paul, have learned to be content." Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. At at the moment of this writing, he had nothing to his name and was most likely in prison in Rome, as he wrote, because of his faith. And I know what it is to have plenty. At the beginning of his life, Paul lived the life of a rich man. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, the other thing I want you to notice here is that if you find contentment difficult, like I do, notice that Paul says it's something, he said it twice, that he needed to learn I've learned to be content. I've learned the secret of being content. This is not something that you can just flip a switch sometimes, but it's something you need to learn as you go, as you are instructed, and sometimes even as you experience life. He's learned the secret. And then he goes on to share a little bit about it in the next verse. I can do all this, or I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, literally that phrase, I can do all things, is translated this way. I can have strength for all things. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I, I, I will have strength for anything and everything that I come into to face because of Christ. It is because of Christ that I can be content It's because of what he has given me that I can find contentment. Question, what is it that you really need? I hope that's a question that you've had a chance to wrestle with today a little bit mentally. What is it truly that we need? What, what are we looking for to, to satisfy this little longing that we have in our hearts sometimes or the, the desire to find this elusive happiness? I want to take you back uh, to the Garden of Eden. And, and I want you to imagine that instead of it being Adam and Eve in the garden, it was you and it was me. We're the ones Who committed the first sin? And God comes down and He speaks to you and He says, As you've just messed up your relationship with Him, as you've just put a barrier because of our sin between us and Him, He says, I'll give you anything you ask for. What would you ask for in that moment? A new phone, a bigger house, a vacation. God knew exactly what we needed. And so he didn't ask. He just said, I'm going to send you a savior. I I love you so much. I I know what you need. More than you do. And I'm going to send you the Savior that you need so that whether life goes well and you have all the niceties of this earth or you don't, you have reason to find joy and happiness every single day because I'm going to send my Son for you. Paul writes, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had everything, yet that's not what he valued the most in his godliness. Yet for your sake, as he became a human being, he decided to become poor. He took on human flesh and bone. Literally, he was poor while he was on this earth so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If if there's one takeaway that I'd like you to have today, it's a contentment that although maybe not everything financially is lining up, not everything you want do you have, that you can find joy because Jesus is what you need and God sent him for you. And he died for you. And even on top of forgiveness in heaven, he gives us so much, doesn't he? And he promises to walk with us even during the difficult days. So maybe you're looking for more to be happy. Number four, because of Jesus, we have more. Because of Jesus, we already have more, more than we can imagine, more than we deserve, more than we could ever fathom. So how do we apply this? Well, I want to come back to a point that I talked about earlier, and that's this, that awareness of what's around us often drives our discontentment. So I have two things for you to consider. Maybe you want to write them down. The first is, what is it that you need to be aware of less? What what websites do you need to stay away from? What places do you need to go less? Because every time you click on it or every time you go there, you feel this discontentment rise up. So what is it that you need to be aware of less? And then on the flip side, what are the things you need to be aware of more? You and I have been blessed by Christ. In what areas, and in what ways can we be generous as we're aware of people around us that are in need and that we can be a blessing to them in response to how Christ has been a blessing to us? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this opportunity to, if nothing else, just be reminded of how blessed we really are, that even at times we can grumble and complain because we don't have this or that, but then when we look around, we realize we have so much. And that ultimately, our contentment, Lord, may it always be found in the cross and in our relationship that we have with you, that will, well, long outlast any possession or anything of this world. We thank you that you have given us hope and a future through Jesus Christ, and we pray this all in his name. Amen. Well, this morning, as I mentioned before, um, we also have an opportunity to uh, be reminded of what Christ has done for us through uh, communion. And so if you'd like, you can go ahead and uh, take out that wine and bread right now. Don't, don't open it yet, but um, this is a meal that we have an opportunity to not only think backwards to what Christ did for us on the cross, but also in this moment think ahead uh, to the wedding feast of the Lamb, as the Bible reference, that we'll be able to celebrate forever together um, in heaven someday. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also later in that meal, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave to them, saying, this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. I invite you to please stand and you can go ahead and uh, take out the bread and when you're ready take and eat this is the true body of our Lord Jesus Christ given into death for all of your sins then also the the wine and take and drink This is the true blood of Jesus, which he shed on the cross for you and for the forgiveness of all of your sins. We're going to take just a short moment here, give you a chance to just thank God individually um, for what he has done for you through Jesus Christ and uh, the many blessings that he gives to you. Well, then may this body and blood that you have now received, may it strengthen you in your faith and keep you in that faith until life eternal. Go home today with joy and with peace. Your sins are all forgiven. Amen.